Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by Liesl. Hi, Liesl. Hi. And we're here today in person, which is not what we normally do. Normally we're remote, but today we're all in person to discuss Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. We are gathered here today to say goodbye to Puss in Boots. There are no words to express such a loss. Thank you. But it would be a crime not to try. He was known across the land by many names. The Stabby Tabby, El Macho Gato, the Leche Whisperer. To some, an outlaw. To more, a hero. To all, a legend. This is a spin-off sequel American computer animated adventure comedy directed by Joel Crawford. The cast includes Zorro, uh, Frida Kahlo, Guillermo de la Cruz, Yelena Belova, Queen Elizabeth II, Mr. French, Spider-Ham, Pablo Escobar, and Artemis from It's Always Sunny. I saw this movie on YouTube by paying $30 for it. A price point i didn't even realize existed in the <laughs> digital media marketplace uh Liesl, well, just invite you... over six of your friends i invited one person over yes i was invited to this watch party um yes i also watched it on youtube for apparently what was a super expensive price yes well i i i went from 25 dollars, which was the rental up to 30 dollars. so now i own it in nice. quotes until they until youtube decides it. they don't own it anymore but uh yes <laughs> enough about that joey how did you watch this movie <laughs> i watched it for considerably cheaper at the movie theater nice okay before we talk about this movie we're going to recap the events in a synopsis that joey wrote so joey go ahead puss in boots is a living legend he spends his life gallivanting around the world cinematically rescuing townsfolk from epic monsters after a particularly fun battle with a giant in a mountaintop village, Puss is anticlimactically killed by a falling bell. As a cat, Puss enjoys the privilege of nine lives, but when Puss awakens in the town's doctor's office, he discovers he is on his last one. The doctor recommends retirement and tells Puss to visit Mama Luna and her cat sanctuary. Puss decides to drown his sorrows at the bar. While he is there, a wolf with red eyes and dark clothing enters. He knows Puss and indicates he is there to kill him. Puss identifies the wolf as a bounty hunter and challenges him to a fight. The wolf easily disarms the cat and Puss feels something strange come over him. Fear. He runs, first abandoning his sword and then the rest of his garb as he decides retirement is right for him. Mama Luna's isn't exactly a utopia, but it is boring. Puss spends many days there, eating kibble and using the litter box. A small dog, pretending to be a cat, tries to be Puss's friend, but Puss rejects him. One day, Goldilocks and the three bears crash through the wall looking for our intrepid hero. But despite actually finding him, they don't recognize him. Puss overhears them talking about a map to The Last Wish. Goldilocks and the bears are hoping the legend, Puss in Boots, could help them find it. Puss decides this is his way out. He can simply wish for more lives. The map to the wish is being brought to Jack Horner. You may recognize Jack Horner from this nursery rhyme. 
Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating a Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well, he is no longer little, good, or a boy. Instead, he is a large, evil man who runs a terrifying pie factory and collects magical items. He has a set of baby unicorn horns, Alice's eat me and drink me snacks, and King Midas's hand. As Puss sneaks in to steal the map, he runs into Kitty Softpaws, a fellow bandit and former partner of Puss's. They tangle over the map, but escape together with the little dog from Mama Luna's driving the getaway cart. The map leads them to the dark forest, which the trio quickly discover is not as it seems. By using the map, a person can transform the terrain of the forest. It seems to reflect the life and sentiment of the map's user. Puss's is dark and extremely dangerous. Kitty's is terrifyingly lonely, and the dog's is overwhelmingly friendly. Obviously, they choose the dog's path as it seems easiest. Not far behind is Goldilocks and the three bears, and Jack Horner and his baker's dozen, a set of kitchen-themed warriors. Jack is armed with Mary Poppins's infinite bag, where he has stuffed his entire magical collection. What follows is a lot of fighting and map stealing as the whole group slowly makes their way to the wish. As we go, we learn more about our characters. Goldilocks, after falling asleep in the bear's house, is adopted by them. They make a great team, but Goldilocks wants to use the wish to get a real family. This breaks those poor bears' hearts. Jack Horner has had every advantage in life and wants to use the wish to absorb all of the world's magic. And Puss, well, where to begin? His encounters with the wolf has left him deeply shaken. He sees him everywhere, and his only reaction is to run for his life. He suffers from a panic attack. Luckily, he has a small dog to comfort him. At some point, Puss and Kitty were going to be married, but Puss was afraid and ran away. Kitty admits she knew he wouldn't commit to her because he always puts himself first. In a cave of literal self-reflection, Puss comes face to face with the wolf again. This time, Puss knows who he really is. He is death incarnate, here to collect a life that has been squandered and flaunted. Again, Puss runs, this time straight to the wish. It takes the form of a giant crystal star and set into the ground. It shines with a multifaceted glow and chimes with each footstep. There he is confronted by Kitty, who accuses him of selfishly taking the wish for himself. Kitty says she wishes she had one person to trust and admits she doesn't need magic for that. Jack Horner and his remaining baker arrive along with Goldilocks and the three bears. There's a showdown, and Jack gets tossed into his bag of holding. Goldilocks abandons the wish to save her adopted family, admitting they are, quote, just right. Death appears before Puss again, and they duel. But this time, Puss isn't afraid. He no longer wants to take his life for granted, and this deflates death. After Puss bests him, he leaves with a see you later. Jack Horner comes back with the help of an eat-me cookie, bigger and worse than before. But everyone teams up to stop him, ripping the wish's map apart and sending Jack to his demise. The wish explodes into multicolored streaks of light, coloring the sky. Puss, Kitty, and Perrito officially join together as Team Friendship, and they set sail for new adventures. The end. There you have it, the events of Puss in Boots. The last wish will begin our conversation with our pros and cons. Lisa, what did you like about this movie? It was very colorful. There was great music throughout. It was super catchy. 
The plot was simple but effective, um, and it was wholesome and genuinely funny. Joey, what did you think? What did you like? Um, this movie is beautifully animated, well voice acted. It's fun for the whole family. Um, there's a creative use of well-known fairy tales. Lots of great cat stuff in here. As a <laughs> new cat owner, new cat dad, I love seeing the cat stuff. Um, a, it's a fun story about conquering death, and I think Jack Harlow is a great villain. Jack Harlow? Yeah, Jack Harlow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's a heartfelt story. It's, it has an emotionally resonant message, uh, an interesting animation style. Uh, it's funny, of course. Me- a lot of memorable characters in here, especially Death. I felt like Death really jumped out of the screen at me on this one. Uh, <laughs> it, this movie is full of witty dialogue. It has the perfect runtime as well. It definitely didn't overstay its welcome, but it you know used every minute effectively. And like you said, it's fun for all ages. Uh, you know, this wasn't exactly on my radar as a movie I should watch for multiple reasons, but one of them is because I I'm not a kid anymore. So you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, like Shrek movies don't really get me uh, jazzed up. But I this one was good for everybody, so I uh, I really enjoyed that aspect. Now let's talk about what we didn't like. Um, Lisa, what are your cons for this movie? I didn't actually love the low frame rate action sequences. Um, My mind was confused. And uh, (laughs) I guess the only other thing I could really nitpick was I don't know if I could have watched it without the subtitles. We started with it off and then uh, put them on. And yeah, I don't know if I could have done it without them. Well, what do you think, Joey, in the movie theater? Did you feel like the, uh, I think the home viewing experience might be slightly different from Mm -hmm. getting those big speakers at the theater? I don't know. I don't know what I missed, if I missed anything. Sure. So, I mean, I I felt like I understood what was happening and Mm -hmm. what everyone was saying for the most part. They all kind of spoke funny, but it was, (laughs) I don't know, it seemed fine to me. So. Well, what what about your cons, Joey? Um, I think this movie succeeds where it wants to succeed. Um, but besides the animation, it doesn't really push the boundaries. Um, it's ultimately a pretty generic story that we've seen over and over again. It's kind of like a quest. But people are reluctant to get together, but then they're friends at the end. You know, it's, <laughs> it follows a very similar beat. Mm-hmm. I think there's some interesting characters. Um, and uh, yeah, like the animation's fun, but otherwise it's pretty much the same story I've seen a hundred times. Well, I uh, some things that I didn't like, uh, I thought the Goldilocks jokes were beaten into the ground. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They were clever at first, and I think that if you take out like half of them, then it, they all would have been good, but they got really exhausting, so that was a distraction, and very different from the rest of the jokes, which were all funny and done the appropriate amount of times. And also, speaking of the subtitles, the subtitles on YouTube just don't even give you a chance to learn Spanish. Yeah. Anytime the characters say anything in Spanish, it just says speaks spanish that's awesome even when it's even when it's one word yes speaks spanish it would be like amigo and they would be like speak spanish and (laughs) i'm like you can't translate that to friend or say amigo right even if it's halfway through a a sentence where they're Mm -hmm. like like see let's go it'd be like speaks spanish let's go (laughs) so it's that was wild that's more of a uh you know mark against youtube unless every version of the movie ends up with subtitles like that but mm-hmm. um okay well those are pros and cons let's get into our overall section and i'll just start off by saying i'm amazed how much this movie did not rely 
on Shrek references. <laughs> I was, I mean, when I heard about them making a Puss in Boots movie the first time, uh, back in like 2012, I was rolling my eyes because at that point the Shrek franchise had spun so out of control. And mm-hmm. it's like, do we really need a Puss in Boots movie? I mean, I know he was a fun character in Shrek. Two, but at that point, that was two movies ago, and uh, the Shrek franchise was like definitely falling apart. And maybe it's been so long since Shrek that those kind of references just don't register anymore, so it's not really a uh, temptation, but it's still impressive to me that they left them out. Because if you've seen literally anything recently, you know that 20 years is not too much for pop culture to uh, try to cash out on your nostalgia. Uh, so the fact that this movie believes that it can do well on its own merits uh, is good because it absolutely does have uh, legs to be able to just be its own thing. Uh, so that I thought that was impressive off the bat. I just really liked how they brought in all these different characters from other fairy tales, you know, people that we hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true Shrek style. They were bringing them in to just kind of play off of their ideas and and make them into part of the story, which is, uh, you know, I think they're kind of stretching with, um, what's his name? Jack Horner. Jack Horner a little bit, but <laughs> it's still like, it's, he's still like a nursery rhyme that you can, you can pull out, you know? So yes. it's, it's fun to like, I don't know, build off of that. It, it feels like they're having fun with, uh, some sort of existing IP in a way that like superhero movies just aren't able to, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like, Oh, the, Batman's in here it, like all you're thinking about is like how many phone calls between executives went through this to get Batman into this movie <laughs> right where right. it's like nobody's calling anybody to ask about Jack Horner he's like oh <laughs> just a fun guy that we can put in here and we can make him whoever we want right and his lack of prominence as a fairy tale or nursery rhyme is tied into his character yes. I mean he, that's kind of the source of his uh, spite is the fact that he's so not relevant e- even in the world of fairy tale creatures although are the serpent sisters fairy tale anything serpents oh they're like the two the ones who had to do all the murdering to get the map the amount of murdering we did (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i had never heard of them i don't either and honestly i wouldn't have remembered jack horner if they didn't actually like say the nursery rhyme because i I, the name jack horner to me doesn't ring any bells but the whole sticking a thumb in a pie and pulling out a plum yes that definitely was somewhere in my youth (laughs) that came back to me uh so i yeah i again they, they do what shrek is known for doing mm-hmm. this is a shrek movie uh, it did have shrek in it technically no mike myers but shrek mm-hmm. was walking with puss in boots in his memory uh you know they, they they reward you for knowing classic fairy tale creatures which feels like something that's completely unavoidable you just you you find out who these characters are just by existing right uh, like being able to spoof on jiminy cricket was f- so funny i'm <laughs> so glad they did that uh like They used him to prove that Jack was completely irredeemable. Like this, the whole point of Jiminy Cricket is to help you become a better person. And even Jiminy Cricket, or as they call him in this movie, I don't think they ever name him, but like in all the stuff that I found, they call him Ethical Bug. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, I really like that. I really like that we were like, as we learned more and more about about Jack, um, the worse he became. Yes. He just became, he just was a bad person through and through. There was no redeeming <laughs> qualities whatsoever. Yes. He was so, yeah, it's just like, and, and I think that's important because, um, you know, there's no, especially because his justification for becoming evil is so not 
legitimate, right? right? He was mad that Pinocchio was getting more attention than him in this like side by side cart entertainment thing. Like I, I <laughs> so I'm not even sure if that was like literal or it was just like his mental re- representation of like an idea of him not being as popular as other fairy tales. But um, we don't have to worry about sympathizing with him, right? He, we have an irredeemable villain, and that's good because then we don't have to feel bad when we kill him. Yeah, <laughs> which is what we do at the end. <laughs> Victory uh, in the end can be total, and we don't have to feel two ways about it. Especially because Jack is mostly an obstacle and not our main protagonist. The main, or sorry, main antagonist. The main antagonist is death, and Puss really succeeds when he learns to cope with death. Uh, defeating Jack Horner is more of proof that he's uh, progressed or that they have progressed all of them everyone reaches the end of their arc and then now they can defeat the like main obstacle but jack horner was not his worldview was never anything in question it was always pure evil and that's right something we can root against so i think that works well when paired with death if jack horner was the only villain we had in this and defeating him was just like okay when are we going to defeat mm-hmm. the bad guy that would be i think a little bit boring um but so let's talk about death. Uh, this is probably my favorite character. In we already did Post an episode of white, about white noise. I know. I know. That's, it was, this is the becoming the death podcast. <laughs> Affable death. <laughs> the, uh, the character of death was, was really well put together. I mean, he really was terrifying. Uh, for the most part, he was uh, totally unique to the other characters to the point where we could recognize him just by his silhouette or his eyes. The sense of inevitability surrounding death was very strongly conveyed. In other situations, I'm not worried about Puss. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's my favorite fearless hero. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's all of our favorite fearless hero. And, but when death is there, I'm sweating. You know, I think, yeah. I think the the cat, like the hairs sticking up mm-hmm. on the cat was a, a really cool... Have they done that with Puss before? I don't remember him ever doing that. I don't know. I think maybe they've had him puffing up before, but, yeah. but not necessarily like in direct response to fear. Because that, that's like a funny like cats be like moment. Yes. But the way they put it in this movie, it was genuinely skin... Like it made my skin crawl. Yeah. Thinking yeah, about like how terrified Puss is in that moment. So I... I, I mean, so... That was the, the the fear aspect was definitely there. I mean, were you guys scared of death? Yeah, I mean, when um, <laughs> I had like gotten up to get water or something, and I came back down, and that was when Puss was in the cave of self reflection. <laughs> the souls, and, yeah. <laughs> like four seconds later, that's when the wolf like showed up, and I was like, <gasps> like literally, like gasped out loud, and like I don't know, I was actually scared. And Benjamin was like, "Did you just jump?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, okay." <laughs> like I don't know if if I was a child like watching this movie, I think I would have nightmares. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it was just scary enough for me to appreciate it, but like probably too scary for me as a child. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It is pretty dark, but it's I I like the personification of death. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's scary, but like also sort of somewhat reasonable in a way, and like he's after puss because of puss's like just like uh recklessness right he doesn't seem to care about his lives and so you know taking him down as a peg is like very satisfying i really i really like that aspect um and just the fact that he kept showing up in places that he didn't seem like he belonged mm-hmm. um it just added to this kind of mystery of like what is this thing like who is this person right and i mean it he was it, it was like I guess when you first meet him, right? Puss tries to fight him, and then immediately there's this 
visceral reaction, which puts him in a different category than anything else that you see in this movie. Right. Um, and it kind of gives you this feeling that like, oh, something, there's something more here, something greater here. So that buildup I thought was really powerful. Um, and yeah, I just, I didn't know what to make of that until it was finally revealed that he was death. I was like, oh, now it's all like, it's all coming together. Right. Um, so I, I was certainly like afraid for puss, but I was also, I, I appreciated the vulnerability that was shown to like from him too. Right. Not just like the panic attack stuff, but him running him being afraid, you know, him not acting in his uh, like own self-interest, even like just trying to get away. All of that is very um, powerful to to, to kind of humanize this um, anthropomorphic figure. cat. Right. Yeah. It's very it's very different, I think, than you see from a lot of other um, movies like this. Um, it, he's not the the completely fearless hero anymore. He's not really an anti-hero either. He's sort of just human right or, or something like that yeah absolutely and and i think uh it's really powerful that they made his arc like kind of c- coping with death right and like not coping with this guy who's a bounty hunter who represents the concept of death but it's no i'm literally death and like you yeah, have to I'm death straight up <laughs> right and you're you're like to defeat me or to like find a way to deal with the fact that i'm chasing you you have to go through character growth you know and that's that's uh, like way more entertaining than having him just get better at sword fighting and be able to like defeat him in Mm -hmm. like animated battle it's very interesting to see them use a character that's well established and then kind of kind of dive deep into who he is and kind of pull something out from that, right? I think we've seen this in a lot of successful superhero movies where they have an established character that we all understand and know they don't have to set him up anymore. And then they're like, well, what about this one thing about him? And try to build something from that. Um, it's interesting to have be able to do that with Puss in Boots, who's not like a Superman or like a the Flash or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. He's just kind of this made up cat from the Shrek movies, <laughs> you know. He's yes. not even like a, a like a normal fairy tale. So um, I don't know. I think that's very interesting and and, and very. Um, I, it's a really smart move, I think, on the I don't know timeline of Shrek <laughs> media. I don't know what's going on with this, but it's um, it's so. It's so much more than I was expecting, I guess. Um, and that's, uh, I think it's a smart way to play with your characters, um, especially ones that you don't have to set up again. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I thought it was really effective. Um, I know we're calling it the cave of literal self-reflection, <laughs> but it, I that was really effective to give us a new perspective on the legendary Puss in Boots because in the first part of the movie and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, everything before this uh with puss in boots we're right on board with him being the fearless hero he's reckless he's fun he's totally fearless uh and he derives value from his life by building his legacy and that all seems fine to us i think we're all on board with that it's it's fun Uh, but in retrospect that legacy is hollow and his past personalities are all so obviously self-absorbed uh when we're able to look at them this way each one of them is only different from each other by the vice that is like most apparent for that particular life whether that's gambling just having cards spilling out of what little clothing <laughs> puss has on uh but also drinking uh looking in the mirror bodybuilding like these things are all they're, they're vanity they're they're hollow and 
those versions of puss never realized that the legend was too big that that there was no room for anybody else they they got fixated on those vices and didn't really uh i guess reflect on the fact that there were these lonely moments going from town to town and how they had to continue going on adventures because otherwise they were just completely alone and through his adventures with barito and kitty He's now seen the value of committing yourself to others and not just thinking of yourself. It flips the whole narrative surrounding Puss around and makes us agree that it's not cool to be the badass loner. It's cool to be the vulnerable cat with friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I I just think is really cool to be able to make us see, again, a character who before seemed so one-dimensional and we were fine with that. And to go out there and change that is awesome i mean it makes me like puss in boots way way more than i used to and i already did like i mean antonio banderas i mean tell me you didn't see puss take his hat off and make his eyes huge and shrek too and not just fall in love with him forever yeah yeah (laughs) um i mean and and i think that's an important part of it too is not just that he decides to value his life he decides to value his life through the connections uh his connections with other people Mm -hmm. um and and i saw this on a meme about puss in boots where that uh has at the beginning where it's like haha it's like the timeline of the movie and like the first little portion is like haha funny cat and then like the rest of it is like this big long description about like dealing with death and one of the sentences in there it says to enjoy the rewards of being loved we must submit ourselves to the mortifying ordeal of being known Mm. and um i was like yeah that's an interesting way to put it i don't think it's mortifying at all to be known but (laughs) i do think that that's something that puss had to uh come to terms with is like especially in his relationship with kitty it's like i have to commit to being in other people's lives uh in order to be able to value my own yeah exactly well it's if no one ever sees your flaws, then you can't be a bad person, right? But if right. you're around people long enough for them to recognize who you really are, then um, suddenly they have something on you, or or maybe you are that that thing, right? Um, but that's the first step to changing that about yourself too. So, yeah, no, I I think that's a I think it's a really nice message. I think it's ultimately like pretty straightforward right and like pretty easy to grasp i'm curious about what kids think about this but Mm -hmm. i mean clearly this movie is made for people of all ages and you know especially people that have watched shrek or watched shrek when they were kids 20 years ago right Right, so i i think that's i think they're tying that together and trying to you know bridge that from something that's you know kind of fun on the surface and then has this kind of message about making friends that that also resonates with people to like talk about your own mortality i think is a uh, uh, pretty impressive stuff definitely um i i think it's a, a interesting it's like a, such a clear answer um and, and we recently watched white noise which has like a more nebulous answer um but i love that you can draw this through line because i imagine if jack gladney watched this movie when puss is running away from death he'd be uh, leonardo dicaprio on the on the couch <laughs> snapping his fingers and pointing and be like that's there i am that's, that's me. me he's literally <laughs> me <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought that was, I mean, that was one of the reasons uh, that I had people tell me to watch this movie is they were like, did you realize that the best villain of 2022 was in Puss in Boots? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, that is high praise. I'll have to check this out. And I think, I mean, death is awesome. I don't know about best of 2022, but I didn't see every movie in 2022. Mm-hmm. So hard to say that for sure. Uh, but definitely enjoyed death in uh, this movie. So one of the first times that death showed up, uh, post the scene where puss was in the um bar like i wasn't 
sure if death was actually there or if it was in like puss's head and like part of that i feel like was very psychological for puss and that was something that i thought was pretty deep for a kids movie too because i was like dang he's like imagining death in his head and seeing his vulnerability um and like death is scary and death is like in his mind now and like now that he's had to face him he has to like come to grips with reality of like what life is and I don't know I just thought it was interesting because maybe death was literally there but at first I wasn't sure especially in the forest when he was running away and then the little dog was being his therapy dog and <laughs> comforting him uh, because like nobody else seemed to know what was going on and that's also why in the cave I was unsure <laughs> like I think that's why I gasped and like was uh caught by surprise because i didn't know if he would actually show up again or if it was going to be more of an internal puss had to like deal with his own thing on his own but i kind of do like the fact that he wasn't a real like being uh the wolf was actually there physically uh and other other characters got to witness it as well so it was like puss what are you talking about like who <laughs> like death is following you and um then they got to see him so yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think if you change the movie only slightly, you could make death like a, you know, machination of Puss's mind. Like he doesn't mm -hmm. have to be real. Uh, the fact that we get the fight scene at the end, it like shows that he's real. Um, but, you know, it is a, a internal conflict by definition. Um, so, I yeah, I think you could have gone in a, you know, a different direction with that. Um, well, that's like, yeah. I mean, that's what you want from your movie. You want your actual conflict to reflect directly your internal conflict mm -hmm. right so the him being a specter inside of puss's brain is the same thing as him actually stalking him right mm -hmm. i mean the whole thing is sort of metaphoric even though he claims that it's not like <laughs> it, it is all it's it's a physical representation of puss's fear and what he needs to overcome in a literal form right mm -hmm. um yeah i think that's what I think that's what movies are for, honestly, mm -hmm. to yes. put to a picture uh, exact the, the metaphor that you deal with in real life. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I just enjoyed the layers and I liked how as an adult, you can see more of that and that it was pretty deep and not just very surface level like a lot of other ch like children's movies, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can really set the bar low for a children's movie right. because kids will be like, haha, funny animation. Yeah. Cute uh, like cat. Colors. And, you know, and, and <laughs> So, uh, but yeah. Oh, I, I love Chris Pratt, they'll say. Exactly. Kids love Chris Pratt. <laughs> They're like, good. I'm glad he's not changing his voice for this character. Otherwise, I might not realize it's him, Chris Pratt. <laughs> um, okay. Well, moving forward, let's talk about Goldilocks and the three bears. Because I also mm -hmm. enjoyed their arc, which is very along the same lines of like this wholesome, like value your connections thing, but it's different. So Goldilocks wants to use her wish to reunite herself with her biological family. Um, but she doesn't realize that she already has a great family and her adoptive family. Uh, being part of the Goldilocks and the Three Bears crime family is not always perfect, but no family is. Once she realizes she already has uh, what she is wishing for, she no longer needs the wish. And I think this is a really positive message uh, that says, like, no matter how unconventional or, you know, kind of dysfunctional your family is, you can still make it work. And you should value the fact that you even have a family and appreciate them while you have them. I mean, it was never clearer 
that Goldilocks had something great than when she had to talk to Perito, who was stoked to just be part of the like back and forth. I mean, that is that is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Yeah, is when Goldilocks and Baby Bear are arguing and and dissing each other, <laughs> and Perito is like getting all into it, and he's like stoked on every back and forth. And then instead of getting scared when the bear threatens to cut him in half with his claw, he's like, "Oh, I'm in the mix now," and starts really popping off with uh, some bleep words. Yeah, which-, <laughs> <laughs> which was like so funny. I feel like they played that really well. Like I was not expecting it, and I think because it caught me off guard i was like ha that's funny like <laughs> yeah it know. feels like a thing a, a cartoon character would do yes not say a swear but would bleep make a bleep instead yes. right like and that's like offensive on its own right you know <laughs> yeah it's um yeah i thought it was, it was hilarious and it just it uh it felt so true when he said this like you won the lottery as far as being an orphan goes because yeah i mean Goldilocks could have also just been eaten by the bears, right? But instead, they adopted her in her family. And Mama Bear and Goldilocks definitely have that, like, mother-daughter relationship that, like, very strongly conveyed even before we get to the realization that Goldilocks doesn't want this to be her family. And it's, I don't know, I thought it came across really well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there are... I really like the reframing of the of the three bears and Goldilocks as the crime family. <laughs> um, They're British too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. It's just like, um, yeah, it's just it's good. And I, I, I mean, you didn't like the uh, uh, too hard, too big, too small, just right jokes, but I, I liked it every single time. I thought really? it was so funny. Oh, I really gosh. did. I thought it was great. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just feel like they were doing it as a joke, but then it also became like an endearing sentiment. Mm-hmm. And by that point, it just, I'd heard it too much and I got too predictable. It is but. like the only joke, but it is, I thought it was good. I thought they kept, they kept doing, they kept making it happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kept uh, going after it. So I thought that was good. And yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was very sweet that they, uh, the whole just right thing and they, they all come together as a family. Um, and then, you know, uh, just the kind of, building on Goldilocks as a character, right? Making her into an orphan that like had nowhere else to go, but always imagined like finding her family. Um, that's, uh, it's really nice to see that kind of come together. Um, I think it's a, it's a strong element of this movie, honestly. Um, uh, something that, um, you know, as, as a, uh, component of any road trip slash quest movie, right? I mean, this whole movie is just, um, the real wish was the friends we made along the way. Yes, so. it was. <laughs> I mean, and and it's also great because they are, this movie is full of characters that we're not sure who they're going to end up being mm-hmm. because right. obviously Goldilocks and three bears are like hunting puss. Originally they're, they're there to hire him, but they crash through the door and, and rough up Mama Luna's house and obviously fight with puss and kitty when they're at Jack Horner's. So this, and Everybody is kind of dynamic in that way where you're not sure if they're going to end up being good or not, uh, which I think is awesome. And also makes Jack Horner's like the quality of Jack Horner being just terrible that much better because it's like Mm -hmm. he's unlike everybody else who eventually completes their arc and becomes a good guy in the end. Um, So, yeah, I really love Goldilocks and Three Bears. And not to mention Florence Pugh. She's yeah. uh, she's Goldilocks, so automatically a good character in my eyes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I liked the dichotomy of the family, and I think that it brought a separate uh, 
like factor into this movie and the plot. And I think at first when they were introduced, I was like, dang, there's going to be another bounty hunter and then there's going to be another bounty hunter. And that's just going to be the whole point of this movie. And then I was like pleasantly surprised when they were like around Puss's um, grave and they were like, oh, we were going to hire him. And I was like, whoa, that's that's a good <laughs> idea. Um, and then, yeah, like uh, Goldie the whole time kind of having that like sibling uh, tiffs with baby. Mm-hmm. It's just like, wow, they're so like siblings and they're acting exactly how a brother and sister would. And the same thing with her mom, um, the mama bear, like they definitely had a really good connection. And I think they played that really well as well with the kind of grass is always greener on the other side where Goldie's like, I like looking for this perfect thing that like isn't attainable, but like also is because she already has it. And I don't know. I love that. And I like family themes. I think they're always really sweet. And yeah, yeah, just, I don't know. They make me happy. And yeah, I love Florence Pugh. And I think uh, that, I don't know, she came across really well. And yeah. uh, they had really good chemistry. Like all the whole family, I think. Uh, yeah, they were hilarious. Sounded really together. good together. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do agree like that the too hot, too cold, just right was like way ever done. They could have done it the first time. And I was like, oh, that's Goldilocks and the three, three bears. You can't like, not do it. That's so right? cool. You yeah. You can't have these characters not doing that And then joke. not at all until the very end where she's like, oh, my family is just right. Like yeah. that could have been perfect. Just the two times. Like I would have been great. I didn't groan or roll my eyes at any other like joke in this film except for that one. I'm sorry, Joey. That's okay. Well, um, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about like wanting something that was kind of unattainable because the family that she wants is literally from a fairy tale book. Yes. And I know that all these other people are fairy tale creatures. So that kind of undercuts the point I'm making. But it's like, that's right. What she wants doesn't exist. You're not going to have a perfect family. You have to work with the one you've got mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I do think that that came across really effectively okay so let's let's move over t- uh, to uh, a brand new character to the shrek universe and i can't <laughs> believe we had the shrek universe before him at all uh, because he's such a great little guy uh perrito mm-hmm. which is just one of his many names i mean they never really settled on a name which is pretty bold for like one of your main characters for one of your merchandisable uh, characters definitely yeah. i mean there's plushies are got to be flying off the shelves of uh perrito or perro dog. or dog or doggy <laughs> whatever his name was but he's such a cute little ball of energy and positivity mm-hmm. uh, his horrific origin story serves to amplify his ability to see the bright side in any situation i mean what was your reaction <laughs> To his like story of playing hide and seek with his family. Oh my gosh, this is horrifying. <laughs> I, I, I there's a couple of moments in this movie. One of them is when is Puss in Boots and Kitty's reaction to him being uh, his attempted dr- uh, drowning. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, uh, ethical bug. Um's reaction to uh, Jack Horner losing his entire crew by <laughs> by trying to move the cart over them, right? He just like he's just like, eh. And then the bug is like, oh my god, like this is the worst thing ever. I can't believe this just witnessed all these murders. Like just like putting it into context uh was hilarious. And um yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was it's like it kind of all made sense, I guess. Like, oh, he's like had this horrific life, but has always seen the bright side of it. I mean, it's just kind of tragic, really. Yeah, it made mm-hmm. me feel terrible. Yeah, <laughs> my, re- I mean, you and I looked at each other and we were like, oh my gosh, our <laughs> eyes were like bug eyed. I don't know. I was very sad, and I get very like sad about things like that, especially when like people don't deserve it. And obviously, Perito did not deserve <laughs> it. Um, but it also was really funny. Like the delivery was 
so good because yeah puss and kitty were like i don't know what to do and we were the same way we were like i don't know what to do like <laughs> yeah, i don't know how to react that? yeah but it was it was good it was a good delivery i don't know yeah like this movie kind of um it like pushes the limits on pg i feel like which mm-hmm is a weird thing to say. I feel like it's the way you describe movies from like the eighties before they had PG 13, where it's like, Oh, they said the F word, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, and like that thinking about what happened to him in his youth and things like watching all of Jack Horner's men die brutally. <laughs> were like, I mean, the, those tulips were terrifying. Oh, they yeah. ripped all of the flesh yeah, off just a skeleton. Yeah. And but, that one guy who's got, he's halfway in a tulip and he's hacking it with an axe and he goes like, save me ja- or avenge me, Jack. And then he dies. It's like, mm-hmm. dang. This that is- was my favorite thing about the Baker's Dozen is that they were like constantly trying to get Jack to intercede when he clearly didn't care. Mm-hmm. He's like, they're like, Jack, Jack, I thought we were friends. Like, yeah. Jack, Jack, save me. Why would you ever think we were friends? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was messed up. But but yeah, Perito was so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, that scene with him and the, the bears was so funny. He had so many, like you 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 mentioned the the cat kind of mannerisms that are in this movie. They got so many good tiny dog mannerisms as well. As a uh, I can't I grew up in a tiny dog household and a lot of the way that the way that he moved and the even when he was cursing, like lifting all all his legs came off the ground as he was like saying the bleep. Uh he was that was exactly like little dogs losing their mind barking. So uh he's he's a little freak and he's so lovable and mm-hmm. I, I just thought he was great. Yeah, I liked that he was naive but not clueless. And I know that sounds silly after we talk about uh, his origin story and how he shared that and was like, ha, ha, ha. Maybe that was his, what was his way of coping. But also, like, he started picking up things that, like, Kitty and Puss did, like, toward the end and stuff. Like, he uh, escaped from the Three Bears and Goldie, like, very cleverly and was, like, riffing with them. And he was picking up things. And I think that was refreshing because i feel like sometimes there's this character who is like the fun like like uh comedic one Mm -hmm. who yeah like is providing just like i don't know silly remarks and doesn't actually do much but he had a character arc and he provided a lot to the plot and still was like fun and lovable and naive and like silly but like there was a lot more depth to him and i appreciated that yeah, I mean, Perito's uh, positivity is kind of the catalyst for a lot of our other connections. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, all of them. I don't know if Puss uh, gets over how he was feeling about not showing up to the wedding without talking to Perito. I don't know if Goldilocks realizes what she has in her family without talking to Perito. Um, and I guess through the overheard discussion with Perito. I don't know if Kitty uh, resolves to forgive Puss and ends up rekindling that relationship. So, I mean, he's so important to Mm -hmm. our characters. Um, I mean, if only we had gotten more time between him and Jack, maybe there could have been (laughs) some hope. But something tells me that probably not. But I I loved his interaction with Jack, though. Like, at the very end, when he he, tries he to be strains cute. like his eyeball <laughs> blows up and it just finally he does the cute thing and at first i was like tricked because jack was like oh you're so cute because it always works and then we learn just how bad jack is and it's like that's the final straw Perito and his cute face can't turn you good <laughs> so nothing can now so now jack we can kill you truly irredeemable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and i feel like that was all they needed like the that was the only interaction i think i wanted to see yeah talking about the 
eyes, the like, I don't know what you call those, like the anime eyes, anime eyes. Yeah. That the dog and the, and the cats had, that is definitely a member this from Puss in Boots and Shrek 2 uh-huh. type of thing. But it's done effectively because they build on it. Mm-hmm. They don't let it be a standalone thing that, I mean, maybe it was in Puss in Boots 1, which again would just be more uh, intertextuality and saying like, hey, remember this. But they build on that and use it in a pivotal moment in the movie and say like, look, we earned the right to use this again. It's not just us being lazy and, and not creative. It's it is applicable here and in put in a new light. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to applaud that when I can, because there's so many movies that are like, remember this from the other one. That's all we're giving you is just yeah. showing it to you again and saying, Hey, you already saw this before. So it's automatically good. That's so funny. I have, I have a note that's like, they were just small member berries for us <laughs> who have seen Shrek. Cause I knew you were going to say that. Um, but I, I agree with that. And also the other flashbacks kind of to Shrek, like where Pinocchio is the one who right. Jack Horner is kind of like up against. And that's not like directly from Shrek. It's just like, this is a character that was in that movie. Um, and then like some of the other ones, uh, like the flashbacks of like Puss's life. Like, I feel like none of them, like you didn't have to have them to move the plot along, right? but they were like executed very well. It wasn't like, oh, we're putting this in your face because guess what? Like you saw Shrek. It was more like, oh, well, like we are building a universe where all of these characters interact and it felt very, uh, like it flowed really well. Like it made sense. Um, so I wasn't like worried about seeing like little bits of Shrek or whatever. Yeah, right. so it's sort of a nice to have. I mean, even at the mm-hmm. very end, right when they're sailing toward far, far away. Like obviously, if you've seen Shrek two, you know that's like an actual place. But it also works as a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. They can be like, oh, and then they're sailing off into the distance into new adventures. You know, right? You don't have to literally know what that's from to appreciate it as like a, its own thing. I yeah. hope you're right about that because to me, it felt like sequel baiting. It kind of is, right? But it's but. I think it works in both levels, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can... No, I agree. It, it does. But I hope it's only one of those levels <laughs> because mm, I, I feel like Puss in Boots is like it literally has the word last in the title. And I, I would love it if this was it because mm-hmm. it's kind of a great way to remember Shrek because ultimately Shrek is unbelievably uh, iconic and the first two movies are so good. If you want to hear our perspectives on that, we did do uh, episodes on Shrek 1 and 2 kind of in one episode. Great animated movie that inspired so much of the early 2000s. And it's so sad to think back on like Shrek's 3 and 4. And Did you guys see Puss in Boots no. 2012? I didn't see it either. I think I saw five minutes like when I was on the TV and I was like in the room. Well, those ones like kind of betray the goodness of the first two because Mm -hmm. they ended up being so terrible that it's like nobody even remembers them and the shrek franchise just kind of like dies with a whimper and this movie kind of brings it back to life in a way to be like hey remember shrek is still good but please don't make it like and now we're going to get like the perito movie Mm -hmm. and also we're gonna have like i don't know some I think it's great to leave it here so i hope that that is just kind of them be like hey hey, uh far far away but not actually like 
we're gonna go see you know Gingy and and mm-hmm. uh, oh, the but they can't pigs. resist they're gonna do it I yeah. really hope you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of the first Puss in Boots movie so none of us have seen it but I read the plot summary and I think the biggest value that we would get out of seeing that before seeing this movie is just his relationship to Kitty Softpaws mm. possibly there's other stuff in there but I really didn't feel like we missed out on anything else um I think some Puss in Boots mega fans may have been surprised to see him alone at the beginning of this movie because it seems like the big finish for Puss in Boots 1 was, uh, you know, Puss gets the grill. But their uh, relationship was definitely effectively uh, defined. It's an old meme, meme, but it checks out. Yes, yeah. It's uh, (laughs) not worth explaining. Everybody, I was very confused. (laughs) Their relationship is probably the only thing you miss out on from the first one. And that, I think, is why you can maybe forgive how Mm-hmm. Uh, how much they expedite their relationship in this one because uh, w- watching it I, I didn't really I feel like Kitty is probably the least developed of our characters she has like kind of one thing she's after and she gets it so um, but I think it's forgivable because they're like technically this is a sequel yeah yeah no it's nice to have her in there for sure another cat a foil for uh, for puss absolutely and uh, Selma Hayek uh, to love her voice acting oh yeah she's awesome Oh, I remember what I was wanting to mention earlier. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning how when they introduced Goldilocks and Three Bears, you were like, oh, is this just going to be a movie of like all the bounty hunters that are after Puss? Yes. Um, I really did love the way they introduced everybody as a wanted poster. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. It made everybody seem like badass because a wanted poster in- implies notoriety. Right, right. So you've got all these big players who are, are coming together and none of them are like wanted and just normal. It's like them in a heroic pose. Um, it kind of takes me back to some of the other kind of like crime movies I've seen. Uh, like, for instance, uh, what was that movie? Uh, Snatch. That's the one. It, it, Snatch, which has introductions for its ensemble cast. They're all unique and memorable and kind of give you a jumping off point where the character is badass from the go, uh, which I, I just really loved. It's just a little bit of style to add to your movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cool. Okay, so I think that it was impressive that all of the characters had something to say and were important at least to some extent uh we obviously didn't get a character arc from everybody but i feel like there weren't any filler characters or token characters um and one that i really enjoyed was the doctor barber veterinarian uh he wore all of the hats (laughs) and he like worked on puss uh but i thought it was like specifically funny that he can considered himself a doctor when he was looking at puss even though puss is a cat and he (laughs) even says one of his titles is veterinarian so i just i guess in this world if you talk then you are like going to be seen by a doctor and if you don't then i guess you're going to be seen by a veterinarian uh in this case it wouldn't wouldn't matter because it's the same person um and he's got he wears multiple hats during the visit but mm -hmm. The other hat that he wears is being a barber. <laughs> so yes. he doesn't even use this veterinary skills as like a secondary evaluation. Right. <laughs> He's right. giving him like advice on how he should cut his hair. Yeah. It was just very silly, but I, I thought it was well played. And it was um it was also like a good transition from his like eighth death. Uh and also like landing the blow a little bit like less harshly. Like it could have been delivered from some other person, but he like did it in a like funny way. Um Another thing I wanted to mention was I said earlier that one of my cons was the 
low frame rate action sequence. And I say that because I'm not a film bro, so I don't actually know wow. if I <laughs> I don't know if that's because like I didn't appreciate it because I didn't really know what was happening, but the very first sequence where Puss is fighting this giant rock monster, I was like, is something wrong with the streaming service? Like, <laughs> is it is it buffering? Like, am I like glitching or my eyes like <laughs> twitching? Like, what is happening? Um, and then later, Benjamin like made a comment when I asked about that. And that's what you said. It was low frame rate action sequence. And I I guess that is just like a edit or a. Creative decision. Creative, yeah, decision. Yeah, totally. But well, I just didn't understand it. Like, my, my brain was like, why would they do that? Like, I don't know. I feel like it didn't flow well. And again, that's me speaking from, like, I have no experience with, like, understanding how animators, like, create their sequences and, like, all the options that they, like, possess. But I, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't love it. Well, I think that's a, um, a risk that animators take when they decide to make a stylistic choice. Um, have you seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? I have not, no. Okay, and I have think... Have seen The Bad Guys? No. See, I'm not a film bro, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Those two movies would make me a film film bro, but <laughs> I, uh, I'm not. <laughs> um, well, so this was like a very deliberate stylistic choice, and it's been used in both of those movies in the past. And so this was... Uh, I found an article from a Slash Film that said... Um, into the Spider-Verse walked so the bad guys could jog so that the last wish could run. Um, and the whole this whole article is actually about how they decided to go against the perfect CGI, very realistic CGI um, route that has been pretty popular for a long time. I remember specifically Shrek 3 actually had was like groundbreaking in its detail. Um, and just so much of it was beautifully animated in a way that wasn't possible before. Um, and lots of movies have kind of gotten to that point where they are like basically able to do almost anything, simulate anything. So now we've kind of moved away from that into something more um, uh, stylistic, which I think is great. I think the low frame rate thing is weird. I, I, the only reason why I didn't have the same thought you did was because I was in the theater. Mm. I was like, okay, well, this is on purpose, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if I'd been watching it at home, it's like, what's wrong with my TV? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd come back and, uh, you know, arguing with my Chromecast. <laughs> uh, but, um, but no, it's, uh, I, I think it's a little strange. It certainly does, like, kind of hit your eyes a certain way. But I really appreciate this as sort of a step toward something more metaphoric in animation and um it definitely feels like they're taking inspiration from anime too by um changing their art style like in different areas and like coloring the backgrounds giving them speed lines all that sort of thing and i really like that blend i think that there's a lot that american animation can learn from anime and um seeing these kind of inspirations or just kind of stylistic choices brought in um really adds a lot i think to the feeling of any moment the thing I, I think i thought about the most while watching this was that show arcane uh netflix really amazing animation style and it's the the action that in that show is so impactful you really feel every punch and this sort of hits that same mark where a, every like big clash or anything has this sort of twist to the animation style to to kind of emphasize uh the power that's behind it um so yeah, I, I can I sympathize with you, but mm -hmm. I like the direction that this is going and I hope we see more and more like this. 
um, and and move toward maybe not necessarily slow, like slower frame rate, but mm-hmm. into more stylistic animation decisions. And I think this is just an example of what happens when you take risks because not everybody's going to love it, right. but I would rather have something that does take those risks than have something that plays it safe 100% of the time and just becomes boring or forgettable. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. I got one short thing, sort of a hypothetical, really, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is going to make sense in 10, in a, 10 minutes or, or, <laughs> or 10 days, I should say. But um, I, we've already talked a lot about Jack Horner and how great he is as a villain. Um, but he sort of fits this trope that I'm seeing in recent memory, like the last year or so, um, which is this kind of melodramatic uh, um, approach toward affluent and very rich characters, right? They've all, there's a lot of examples of this. Um, what's his name from Glass Onion? Glass Onion, yeah. yeah uh, fits into this category. Um, I would say the, the characters in The Menu, um, uh, the movie Amsterdam, which I watched, uh, even like The Batman with Robert Pattinson kind of fall into this like the rich, the rich are evil. The, the person who inherits money um, is like the perfect person to root against. Um, there's no redeeming qualities necessary. Uh, they're like the perfect scapegoat for anything. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm wonder. I guess I'll pose it to you guys. What you think? Do you think that this characterization is something that we'll see more of? Um, is this the kind of a trend that we're seeing in Hollywood? I do think that fiction reflects reality. So is this a um, an example of class consciousness bubbling up uh, to the surface here, um, or or what? It's an interesting question. Uh, I do think that you're on to something here, as far as this being kind of a trend. I earlier stated why i think jack horner works in this movie almost as kind of the like contrast to all of our dynamic characters but i do see where you're coming from uh and it's i mean maybe it is i don't know if it's fair for uh if if class consciousness is really spreading and, and people are starting to unite against the rich and privileged i don't know if it's fair to be like automatically bad people but um I don't know. I guess I'll just say I do think you're you're picking up on something that's definitely there. Well, I mean, it, it supports your your idea here because if you want to write a character that you want everyone to hate, then maybe one of the characteristics you want to give them is that they never had to work for anything and that they're super rich and like they can do whatever they want, basically. Sure, right? sure. But I guess it doesn't exclude the idea of like a uh, benevolent rich person, sure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they right, but like, that's but that's not what we're seeing and that's not what's being you know that's not the the direction that we're seeing right, right. it doesn't it doesn't say that doesn't that, that doesn't exist just saying that um we don't care to hear about those people right now <laughs> right right i mean puss in boots even has like a like a low-key robin hood kind of tone to it sure. because he goes from town to town not just uh like it, b- first of all being against the buffoon who is in charge and also just really rich you know he invites everybody to the governor's mansion for a party but also later on when they're escaping from jack's factory that he even kicks the gold off the back of the cart and he's like this is a gift from Puss and boots to the people right not necessarily because he was intending to do that it was definitely to stop the people chasing them but that's definitely there like an under kind of current of this is the redistribution of uh like resources from the rich to the poor what is it uh, be gay do crimes yes (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if Puss and boots states it exactly like that but sure I like hadn't really given given this much thought, but when you said that, it kind of made me think in a different like direction. 
uh, which is I think that nepotism is something that has been like brought up a ton on media. And Jack Horner like talked about his parents like setting him up for like success um, and of course was complaining about it. Uh, and I think that was something that hit me harder than the like rich and powerful uh, being like kind of in charge and also That's interesting. like, you know, and, and I feel like that might be like a direction that we could go in uh, because like you say, like media uh, reflects uh, reality. Uh, but I don't know. And I, I kind of like that direction a little bit better because it feels less political mm. and more like, oh, OK, everybody can get behind the fact that like if somebody else is already doing something then it's easier for you to do that thing as well uh and i think it's an interesting question too because do we value uh people's connections more than we do their actual uh the things that they can produce or the their art they should they should pull themselves up by their puss in boots right (laughs) (laughs) right i don't know and i don't know like if it's really saying anything about that but i think that could be something that i would enjoy uh a topic that would be an interesting one to just like discuss in the future um even if it's like everybody falls on different sides i think it's something that's not necessarily uh polarizing like we can all kind of come to some conclusion and not like be worried about the other person not agreeing with us (laughs) yeah if um if jack horner kind of rejected the the uh, benefits of nepotism but still had the same goal where he's like i'm gonna make something of myself i i'm renouncing the horner name i'm not going to run this factory i'll give it to the goldilocks and the golden and the bears but i want to take all the magic from the world because that's how i'll prove that i'll make something of myself he's still a villain yeah right so um i mean obviously that's a different movie but um he is evil outside of his origins his origins just kind of Mm-hmm. reinforce or, or really just give us a place to say we already hate him based on origin right yeah i think that's a i think i think lisa's right i think nepotism plays a big role here yeah um and i think that is a characteristic of a lot of these char- characters like this right um they don't appreciate what they have i think is uh kind of where that boils down to mm-hmm. right okay well that is going to bring us to our break but stay with us because when we come back we'll talk about cool easter eggs and deliver our ratings. We'll be right back. Every day, new opportunities slip by. Like sand through your fingers, all these fickle what-ifs smoothly leave your grasp as if by fate. But you can take control. Do you want to feel power? Do you want to grab fate by the horns and wrestle it to the ground? Do you want to stand with giants and let the earth tremble under your stride? There is a way, the only way, to climb the social ladder in one deft movement. Only the brave try it. Only the bold dare it. Gambling. Power is the feeling of holding two dice in your hand. You can use the horns of fate to scratch off winning lottery numbers. You can stand on top of virtual poker chips and be at the height of giants. That's right, take that risk. Don't let your life slip through your fingers. This ad was brought to you by the Gambling Initiative, promoting extreme financial risk to anyone who will listen. And we're back with Liesl, and we're going to discuss our cool Easter eggs for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. So I'll go first. 
during the montage where Big Jack Horner assembles his baker's dozen, the horses pulling the carriage were actually unicorns with their horns cut off. I did not notice this the first time, and I went back and looked, and there they were, hornless. Hornless. Just little spiky (laughs) nubs. uh, It does does raise questions about, like, when he's shooting the unicorn horns into the other bakers, and they're (laughs) exploding, like, what what is the function of a unicorn's horn, and, like, you know, does that happen to the unicorn, too? Like, the unicorn stabs somebody with its horn. Does the unicorn and... The person explode? Is it like a bee sting? Oh, where like that's a good question. It's like a it's like a one time use type thing. Did right? the horn disappear when it was? Uh, I didn't notice. It I didn't like, either. It was like into so. a confetti or something. Yeah. It seems like an ineffective weapon if it's like part of your body. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very similar to a bee sting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, another one. Goldilocks has details that reflected her being raised by the three bears. Her hairdo resembles bear ears. She has two different earrings, just like her mother. She has blue eyes and a necklace like her brother. And she gains two scars at her left eyebrow that matches her father's missing left eye. So uh, it, the, the I, it, I mean, we kind of discussed this earlier, but her eventual realization that she already has a family is completely earned. The relationship with her brother already being like a sibling thing, the mother thing, like it's all there in plain sight. And mm-hmm. that I think comes through strongly when they explicitly state it. Um, so I mentioned earlier that this movie has the perfect runtime. It's wild because this is actually the longest film in the Shrek franchise at an hour and 42 minutes. Mm-hmm. So wow the longest shrek yes and uh, i mean that just tells you a lot about the restraint that they've had with the shrek movies i mean at least with the first and second um you probably could have stretched those out and still been great but they uh kept them short uh another one in the fight with the giant during the sweeping crowd shot you can see that death is standing there watching in the shadows which I went back and looked this looked this one too, and he's there. I mean, there's no chance you would have noticed him mm-hmm. pick him out among the crowd. But he mentioned to Puss that he's been there and witnessed all of his deaths, and he was there for that one as well. Very so cool. I thought that was awesome. Um, another thing, I mean, this is true Easter eggs. Uh, this there are many nods to Disney films slash classic fairy tales uh, that are in Jack Horner's magic item collection. And uh, so here I'll list them out for you. Mary Poppins' magic bag and also her umbrella, Aladdin's magic carpet, Cinderella's glass slipper, Captain Hook's hook, uh, King Triton's trident, poison apples from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the eat me cookie and drink me potion from Alice in Wonderland, the pumpkin that turns into a stagecoach from Cinderella, uh, a spinning wheel from Sleeping Beauty, a walking broomstick, and a sorcerer hat with stars on it, which are from Fantasia, and... uh, it is fair noticing, however, that many of these items were based on present original source materials uh, that these Disney films are based on. So I thought that was fun. Uh, you, I love like a room full of Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that was cool, too. I didn't know what the staff was, like the wizard staff. Yeah. Was that? I don't know if that was from something specific. I didn't recognize that from anything. But no. Yeah, just some kind of looked wizard. like the staff that Loki uses in, in Marvel. It does kind of look like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe? Marvel is Fairy Tale Confirmed. Is Shrek the next uh, Marvel superhero? Oh, well, please, no. So, I mean, the intro with um, all of the previous like Disney movies was very, very similar to the Marvel intro with all the Marvel movies. And I was like uh, having PTSD a little bit. Um, 
traumatic for you? Yeah, a little bit, a little traumatic, but um, we made it through. It's okay. Yes, the next movie was like Perito and Boss Baby teaming up. <laughs> the, cro- the most ambitious crossover It'll of all Perito, time. It'll uh, be Perito and the Minions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, please no. Okay. Um, and my last Easter egg, uh, you know, this is a Florence Pugh uh podcast by the way apple chat is in that category and this is florence Pugh's first animated feature film ah so um you know we'll be watching her career with great interest uh to see if she's in more <laughs> animated films after this <laughs> all right lisa you got any easter eggs for us i've already mentioned uh most of them but i guess i'll just go through them all again uh these are all the nods that are to like the shrek movies uh the first one is when the wicked witch is waiting in the lobby of the like dr barber veterinarian um and then we said like pinocchio is the reason jack horner is like so spiteful um shrek and donkey are in the life before or life flashing before puss's eyes sequence um and at the end we said they've sailed far far away to visit some old friends which we know who those old friends are (laughs) very nice yeah yeah the um something that i i wish was done a little bit better was the life flashing before your eyes sequence because when we saw the second time that happened, Puss remembers all the good times he's had with the characters that he has now developed strong connections with. And I think it possibly could have been more effectively shown if you went back and looked at his first eyes flashing before his eyes and it's all just him by himself. But it's not. I mean, Shrek and Donkey are there. You know, he's there with some horse. Um, it's just like literally some horse. Things. Isn't that a donkey? Is it? Is it isn't that um, a handsome donkey? I don't know. It's a total silhouette. I can't remember. It very well could be. I, it might also be something from Post and Boots 1. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was stuff in there that I had never seen before, but um, it. I felt like that was a missed opportunity. Didn't really matter. I mean, it was fun the first time watching it being like, no, Shrek, there he is. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anyways. Okay. That is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on Post and Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we'll now deliver our ratings. Liesl. What rating do you want to give this movie? I will give this movie all three members of Team Friendship showing off their very cute anime eyes. <laughs> wow. Powerful stuff. Aw. <laughs> okay. And Joey, what rating do you want to give this movie? I give this a really nice rose that will eat you if you don't smell it. <laughs> <laughs> That's gruesome. Um, and and finally, I'll give my rating. I give this movie a pine cone dressed up like a dog with a note that says, you've been crying. <laughs> awesome. No crime backs. <laughs> <laughs> okay so there you have it our thoughts on puss in boots the last wish uh Liesl, thank you so much for joining us yep. to discuss this film joey what's next on affable chat we're continuing the bear theme with 2023's most anticipated movie cocaine bear oh yes uh definitely excited to see this one in theaters on the release day i mean if there's ever been a movie more highly anticipated i haven't heard of it cocaine bear it's coming up next uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. AffableChat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all of our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address, AffableChat at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. And I'm Liesl. Thanks for listening.